podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Shreddy Cast. I'm delighted to be joined by P.E. Molyneux today to discuss um, some news from the BBC. They ran a poll this week asking um, who was the greatest uh, British manager of all time. And Sir Alex Ferguson, no surprise there, um, with a resounding victory of 40% of the votes. But the, the, there's more to read behind this as well, with Sir Matt Busby picking up just 1%, um, the same amount as Kenny Daglish. And I, I can imagine you're all scratching your heads at that. Petey, what, what do you think of that? Oh, I was surprised that uh, Sir Matt didn't get, get more than that. Um, I, I guess, really, uh, it, it probably reflects that there's more of the, oh, I don't know, I wouldn't say necessarily the younger generation, but the under-50s or 40s that are on uh, the internet, use the internet more, I don't know, and, and therefore uh, they won't remember Busby. Also, just with the passing of time, Busby retired in 69, came back for a bit and went again in 71. Well, that's 50 years ago. Mm. So um, just with the passage of time, people are not forgetting Busby because the history's all there and the statue's there and everything, but it's just not anything like current. Like, who remembers Herbie Chapman? Mm. He set Huddersfield off on three consecutive league championships in the 20s. Uh, he only stayed for two of them and then made Arsenal into the best team in England. But very few people remember him now, um, Dale. So I think it's just with the passage of time, you know. Look people at, forgot Cole Porter and when the Beatles came along. <laughs> absolutely. Look, looking at the, the polls, the results, so Ferguson comes in first with 40%, Bob Paisley second, 14%, um, Jock, Jock Steen came in third with 12% and Brian Clough with 10%. Um, there was there was a big a big short list of people with options, and many of them just got one percent installed. But but Ferguson with forty percent, no one can argue with that, surely. No, I I wouldn't have thought so. Um, I I, th- I think you can look back on great managers and say that they created a very special moment. So Alf Ramsey in '66, you know, not just that moment, but. Uh, did one very, very special thing. Uh, Ranieri with Leicester 50 years later in 2016. Um, uh, but really, I think if you've got to look at any best of category, you've got to look at longevity and what they won. And Fergie ticks both those boxes, big, big style. Just, it, it's off topic, but you, you touched on it, I think it's, it's important at the moment. A lot of people underestimate especially on social media you're talking about the the younger people on there at the moment that might have seen ryan Giggs. a lot of people dismiss how good he was he was of a player because he didn't win the individual awards that people put against him like um ballon d'ors or player of the years in premier leagues but like that longevity is, is massive in and that ryan Giggs argument as well and fittingly under the the umbrella of stralix ferguson as well yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I mean, sometimes you've got to look closely at these things. I am surprised by the gigs thing even more because that, that is quite recent history, isn't it? Mm. And all those titles he won and all those games he played for, for Manchester United, a team that were dominating English, European, and sometimes world football. Um, it's sad that now you start talking about people um, not exactly disrespecting gigs. It almost like he's fading away. One factor might be, Dale, that you've had Ronaldo and Messi 
who now pick up these awards. They've been the best two footballers on the planet by far. They've probably overshadowed almost everybody else. And particularly not just with those um, titles they've won with the various, well, Ronaldo with his various clubs and Messi with Barcelona, but they've picked up the Ballon d'Or, which in itself has become a bigger thing over the last 20 years, you know. So um, maybe that's a factor as uh, as regards Giggsy. But, um, but, but even... But even Giggsy, Giggsy is a class act. Class act always was, always will be. And uh, I've seen some class acts, Dale, you know. Of course. But even on that, and you mentioned gigs and perhaps time nearly passed and point people that were have been absolutely, you know, blessed to have seen Ronaldo and Messi both at the same time at the very best. But do you think the same thing could happen for Ferguson? You know, his career almost spanned four decades from the humble beginnings of St. Mirren. Um, it's hard to imagine anyone getting close to what he'd done, but do you think over time people might not appreciate it as much? Maybe 30, 40 years' time when, when the, the new young crop of fans are coming through and there's someone else that they grew up um, that was the best manager? Yeah, yeah de- definitely. Uh, I think you summed it up perfectly there. Um, probably two aspects to it. One is that um, I think with the passage of time, so much gets forgotten in life, history, pop music, politics, whatever. People forget because they, they, cause they've grown on and moved on. I mean, if you think about it, Dale, whatever year you were born, anything that happened after that, and certainly from when you could remember, you can relate to it. But if something happened a year before you were born, that might as well be 1066 mm. because it, it wasn't in your, in, in, it's not in your reference. So events events do fade with history. Hopefully with TV, uh, so much TV now and uh, media coverage, perhaps it will never be forgotten what uh, Ferguson did. For example, we don't forget Munich and what happened there. And that is respectfully and, um, I think, properly remembered. So ho- hopefully Fergie will be remembered. But then the generations move on. Um, people say there won't be another Fergie. Well, people thought there won't be another Samat. So you, you just never know who's going to come along. But I think Fergie will be long in the, in the memory for, for so many things, what he did. And also also, uh, also also the edge he had to him. You know, an edge that Clough had. Jock Steen didn't, so Matt didn't, and people remember those, the Keegan incident and many more, the Ven- the Wenger uh, war of words that went on for a decade, you know, so we're not going to forget that for a while, so we're, so we're all dead and buried. <laughs> well, a lot of people listening will, will recognise your name, Petey, as well, you, you, you wrote a book, but but infamous, in, infamously, you held the, the banner, the Tara Ferguson banner. I did, I did, which seemed to be the right thing to do at the time, and now and then went on to make me look like the biggest fool in Christendom. But um, three three years in to Alex uh, Alex Ferguson as he was then career at Old Trafford, things were looking pretty bleak. Dale in the summer of uh, sorry the winter of eighty nine, just just setting the scene briefly in that Liverpool were winning everything. The Championship kept going west every year and had done for two decades. Sounds great. We'd not been ta- champions of England since 1967. Mm. So even in 89, that was 22 years. That was a long time. And um, and so Fergie was uh, the next in a long line of potentially good managers that, that, that seemed like he wasn't delivering, just like the other guys hadn't done in terms of the title. Some of the managers won cups. 
Uh, and the football was dreadful. Um, anyone that lived through it will know I'm not being dramatic when I say that. It was very boring football. I put it on a par with some of the games that under Mourinho and some of those under Van Hal. The expansive, uh, entertaining, daring do football had, had gone between 88 and 89. Crowds were down to 30, 33, 34,000. When I held that banner up, Dale, against Palace in uh, December 89, the crowds were like 33,000 and a few. 33,000 at Old Trafford, you know, that was uh, 10 and 20,000 down on the previous two decades under Doherty and Atkinson. So, Goals we were scoring. I think we'd already scored about 40-odd goals in the league a season. Pretty black times. Our rivals were winning everything and we looked like we were going nowhere. So if it was that was happening now, I would do the same. What we didn't know, none of us knew, was um, as the mamas and papas once sang, the darkest hour is just before dawn. And I didn't know uh, within six months the dawn was going to come with that FA Cup victory over Palace again. Uh, and the, uh, my patience, if I could have just waited another six months, I, I wouldn't have looked so foolish, but I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have, uh, I wouldn't have written a book and I might not be talking to you. <laughs> although it was never confirmed, do you think, although it was never confirmed, do you think had we lost the final against Forrest, the axe would have fallen on Ferguson? The, the final or the third round? The third round. Yeah, um, definitely. I think if we'd have gone out of the cup, uh, probably the third, fourth, or fifth round in 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 nineteen ninety, the the pressure would have mounted from the fans. Uh, mm-hmm. What I started that was just me getting it off my chest because there was no social media, so yeah. all I could do was thinking of getting a bed sheet out and some black and white paint. <laughs> but that wasn't to that wasn't to uh, big me up. It was really just to get it off my chest because I was so cheesed off. But with but I that, think the fans would have uh, would have made it difficult for Edward Sancharton to stick with Fergie. Yeah. You see, the you know, thing... in the league, Dale, we went from November to February of that winter, 15 games without a win. Yeah. We were heading into the bottom two or three, even after that, even during that cup run. So um, it, it really was looking bleak. It's, it, it, it was looking bad for Manchester United. So we just thought, OK, he did it in Scotland, but... This guy spent a fortune as well, and it, it, it didn't seem to be manifesting itself on the pitch. Are there parallels to now under Oligata Socia? Um, there are parallels in the post Ferguson period to the post Busby period, in that we had to kiss a few frogs before we found our prince. Okay. Uh, the, the question is Is Ollie a frog? At the moment, Ollie's a, uh, is a prince in waiting. <laughs> a prince in waiting. And some people are blessed with the gift of seeing the prince and others still see a frog. <laughs> that, that, so, that beautifully sums up social media after a match. Yeah, well, exactly. But seriously, though, um, it, it's, a, it, it's a very sound question because, as we know, we had the great start under Ollie. It fell away badly and inexplicably. And then he kind of had to kind of reboot and start again. And it was looking a bit dodgy September time and October time last year, some of those early matches in the Europa League. I mailed my colours to the mast then on a, on, a, on, a, on social media and a, on a couple of Radio Manchester and Radio 5 and said, no, we've got to stick with this fella. At least give him a chance. I gave Fergie three years and he had a lot of money to spend in that time. Um, 
So it seemed just too soon. What I think Ollie's had to do is get rid, get the right attitude back in the dressing room again, back within the club. Fergie did it. He had to lose Strachan and McGrath and Whiteside. We had to, I think, get rid of Lukaku and Sanchez, mainly because of what they were doing on the pitch. But I, I, I'm not sure myself that they, they were the right thing in the dressing room. Mm. We'll park Pogba for a little bit because the jury's out. But he had to get people in that he wanted to, that were good players, that were proud to play for Manchester United and run through a brick wall and bring the young lads in at the same time. I think he's done that, he's done it well, and I think it will blossom into something. I really, really do. And if it does, Dale, it'll be something lasting. Maybe not as good as Fergie made, but something lasting because... He gets the club inside out, Ollie. He gets the club, he gets the fans. And I think as well, in terms of lasting, his approach since he's come in has always been long-term. Um, it, there's been no kind of, in the transfer market, panic, panic, boy, get in loads of players quickly and and then realise that the, it takes time for players to bed and then you chopping and changing managers, you players that are playing with different managers, not happy. And it just, that's the mess we were in with Moyes, Van Gaal and Mourinho. And I think mm. with Soldier coming in, they wanted to cement something long term, which in the in the mass in the greater scale of things was a huge risk because Soldier didn't have a CV to, to warrant that job. Um, oh. and and to be honest, I've been impressed. I've been impressed with when our backs were against the wall. He stuck by doing what he said he wanted to do from the very start. Um, the, the team is is a lot more likable than it was this time yeah. last year. People kind of include myself. Fell out of love with the Manchester United players because there was games uh, away from home where they didn't even acknowledge the, the fans after a bad performance. And it was just really kind of, it just wasn't nice. Um, I think that has changed this year. And with the likes of Bruno Fernandes coming in and adding some excitement, people are buzzing to watch United, every United match again. It's a shame that the season has been suspended, of course. Um, we get it as well, this, this podcast is, is on Ferguson and you, you did mention that there was a, a drop in, in attendances at United Games, um, quite shockingly. But was there a section of fans who kept faith in Ferguson and refused to want him gone? Do you know, you did mention it was three years. Was there still people in the boat kind of saying, we'll stick by this man, apart from Bobby Charlton? <laughs> Bobby Charlton <laughs> Martin Edwards. So yeah. I, 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 give them, I give them that benefit of the doubt. So here's the thing, Dale. When I held that banner up in the ground, and it was 33,000, I didn't do it lightly because I'm a loyal Red, still am, still a season ticket holder. I still mm. sit in the same seat in Chasetown that I sat in then. So I'm not a John, Johnny come lately or a, an after-the-match despairer when we lose and the world's great when we win. I try and keep it balanced. Mm. But it took a lot of guts. To, it took a lot for me to do that because I didn't want to be disloyal to the United, but it was about the manager, not the club. Mm. Also... I was my backside was twitching a bit. I didn't know how fans, the other fans, would react to it. I didn't know how the police would react to it. You didn't have protests at football matches then. Everybody's got a banner now saying somebody out. But um, I'm not. I'm not saying I was a pioneer, but there wasn't much history of it. So when I stood up on the seat and did it that day, I was I was trembling a bit. Uh, and, and the other lads, we decided to go with it. Now the reaction in the ground was like a, a row of dominoes going down as we stood, were in the corner of. J stand or the old the singing section as it has been lately on both sides along the United Road and to the left the K stand and then round to the Stretford end as fans saw what had done and could read it or people passed on what it said 
People rose up and clapped and applauded and cheered. So much so, Fergie mentioned it in his programme the following week about how bad it was and his sorry he upset the fans. He referred to it in a couple of his books he did after that, even when we won the league, how it was his blackest day. I don't take great, great pride in that. The point is the fans were very much of the same opinion. So if it had been social media, I would have got a lot of likes against that banner going up, yeah? <laughs> now, as time went on, I've, I must have met at least 50,000 who say they were in the ground that day and they didn't stand up or applaud because they knew Fergie was going to sort it out. Yeah. So <laughs> I think there was very few people in December 1989 and certainly all, even into December and January, hand on heart could say, no, I stood by Fergie. I really thought he was going to do it. I'll have to give some the benefit of the doubt because I'll have to call them liars. But no, he was moving towards the exit door for sure. For the, from the fans, uh, the loyal fans, it was down now to the guys and gals who, who would not go to, who would not stop going to Old Trafford under any situ, uh, situation. Of course, Ferguson, during his time at Manchester United, went on to win 13 Premier League titles, five FA Cups, four League Cups, two Champions Leagues, one European Cup, Winners' Cup, one European Cup or European Super Cup, um, one Intercontinental Cup and one Club World Cup. You know, from the days that you're talking about to go on to achieve those feats, that was, no one could have come in and done that. Oh, no. So, so who, who, who did United fans want? If Ferguson was sacked, was there anyone at the time that they were shouting for that was a popular choice? Uh, the popular chant, because they did start chanting uh, about in the two or three games after I did the banner. We played at uh, Villa on Boxing Day, and it was a dreadful 3-0 defeat when Paul McGrath starred, ironically, for Villa. Brian Robson's Red and White Army was the chant that went round from the United end that day. Um, I I plumped for, and it sounds daft now, Lottie McMenemy, I would have had. Uh, who was uh, an experienced guy then, somebody just to, to get us steady as again and get us going. Um, so so probably, yeah, Brian Robson was seen as maybe a player-manager. You'd had Dal Gleish going as player-manager at Liverpool a few years before, so maybe th people thought that was okay. But from the milk turning sour, around about the end of 89, he did quickly buy himself time with that cup run. Mm. With every win in the third round, fourth round, fifth round, People just went, probably a little bit with Ollie now. Oh, well, let's hold on, see what he does. We're still in a competition. There was only three competitions then. Don't forget, United, all English clubs were banned from Europe, Dale. It was another black cloud over the, over the English game and therefore United fans. You know, we didn't have Europe to look forward to. So, Fergie didn't, it, it didn't come under a lot of pressure for people. Um, it was just really the press and the fans saying, look, this fella's had enough time. I don't think there was a real heir apparent to, to come in. Um, people would have had their own private opinion, but I didn't counsel that. Just on that, because with social media nowadays, everything a manager does is almost magnified. And, the, you know, the, the, the way the manager speaks, or his the way he might be tactically in depth, people focus on that and make fun of it and stuff. Was there anything, any attributes of, of Ferguson after those three years that people said, right, he, he, he made a big mistake here or he was doing this wrong? Or was there, was there any common trends in, in criticisms towards Ferguson that nowadays you might look back and say, well, that, would, that wouldn't stand an argument today? 
Uh, you mean during the bad time of around about 89? Yeah, yeah. He was getting slated for having sold. I mean, once his team's playing bad and everything, they blame the manager for many things, but certainly they say, well, you shouldn't have got rid of him and you shouldn't have got rid yeah. of him and you shouldn't have got rid of him. Then you either blame the manager or the chairman for not buying so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. That, that, that happens now. You're right. It's the ent- and, and it's the intensity of it now. Mm. You know, before you've got home for your tea from Old Trafford there's a billion uh, verdicts or whatever on, on social media then you had to wait for match of the day or the pink to come out or the paper or you sat with your mates in the pub uh, people were criticising his uh, yeah who he'd bought and sold also his the players he was playing he was playing people out of position just to get them in the team people he valued like say Blackmore and Duxbury um, who were workhorses and did a good job but they weren't the flair players United have been used to. You know, we were lacking a bit of flair around about 80, 89. I mean, within a year, Sharp had come along and that was a big, that was that was a, a glimmer of hope. Then Giggs in a year after. And then, of course, it did. And the guys that actually were playing in 89 against, uh, uh, when I held the banner up, uh, that he bought that year, Pallister, Paul Ince, Phelan, um, Danny Wallace, Started to come good in that second half of the season, Neil Webb. So actually, his, his flowers started to bloom just after that darkest time of December '89, January '90. By by the spring, we were we've gone up, started to go up the league, and we're in the semi-final of the of the FA Cup. So it changed quickly in that sense from his darkest hour. It didn't drag on; it comes have dragged on. Um, so. Um, uh, and I'm sure he, he learnt a lot from that and when he won the cup Dale uh, I mean I can always remember thinking as he went off uh, after the replay on the Thursday night of beating Palace 1-0 with a Lee Martin goal I applauded him off and I just privately thought to myself because I'd, I'd, I'd hammered him a few months before right okay good on you great we've won the cup so we were all joyous the thousands mm. that were at Wembley right you've bought yourself a bit of time Mr. Ferguson, I thought in my head, let's see what he can do. And uh, the football didn't improve greatly right away in 1991, but we got to the League Cup final. We won the Cup Winners' Cup. That came out of nowhere, a European trophy. Mm-hmm. We're not won a European trophy since 68. So there you go, 23 years, you know. I think massively with managers, and I think you see with even more recent managers at Manchester United, Louis van Gaal came in and mentioned... Um, three years he mentioned three years and he would he wasn't in the job a few weeks but he mentioned this plan of three years and when you yeah. come out when you come out with a statement like that and it does buy you a bit of time at the start but if you're not getting the results the players in which you're trying to explain a message to your philosophy they'll start losing interest too when they start getting results and i think with ferguson you mentioned in getting the cup finals and winning cups in after after those few tough years the timing, the timings are massive because they went on. Those winning teams went on to give key ingredients to future teams to keep that winning mentality. And Ferguson knew then when to chop and change players and when players maybe were getting too big for their boots, and he had to get rid of them at the right time. I think that was his secret to to his management is is knowing the timings, being precise and perfect for getting rid of players and bringing in players. 
Oh, de def definitely, Dale, definitely. Um, and 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 once you've got, once you've won something, you buy yourself time, but you buy yourself control, mm. control of the dressing room as a manager, control when you go to the board, not necessarily controlling the board, but when you go in and say, I want so and so. If you've won nothing for three years, people are going to say, really? Well, yeah. you bought him and you bought him. A bit like they did with Mourinho in the end, with buying, uh, he bought two or three centre-halves and then they said no to buying yeah. Maguire at the time. And whilst that might look uh, wrong in hindsight, it's, the board have given them a lot of money to buy those players. But when you've won things, you go in and say, I like him, the board back you. And when it starts to work, Dale, then it, it rolls on itself. I always liken it to finding the recipe for Coca-Cola. I've never found the recipe for Coca-Cola. But once you've found that recipe, you've got to keep that recipe absolutely to a T. Fergie took a few years to find that Coca-Cola recipe. But once he found it, he kept it great for 20 years by letting go of the players that he needed to or should go and getting in the right ones. And it perpetuated a mentality, an attitude, a winning attitude, and it perpetuated the trophies. Right. And so the fans loved him. I went from uh, uh, from from being the Doubting Thomas to an evangelist. <laughs> right, in parts of the Coca-Cola right now, we're Diet Coke or Coke Zero. We're, 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 the, we're the diluted version. Hopefully we get back to the full strength. Um, but sure. look, Pete, before, before we let you off, I really appreciate you coming on and giving me um, 20, 25 minutes here today. Um, how can people find your book? Oh, the book, which is called Tara, T-A, space, R-A, Fergie, Tara Fergie, because we say Tara in the north of England, um, on Amazon. Just look Tara Fergie under on Amazon. It's uh, reasonably priced. I don't know how long it'll take to get it in the current climate, but have a look at the reviews first, uh, guys and gals, because Reds have read it and they seem to like it, which is the, the main reason I yeah. bought it. It's called Tara Fergie. There's only the first and end of it uh, referring to the banner. You know, the rest is about me following United and me travels and some of the, the funny things that happened and interesting that happened between 1963, being nine years old, to 2013, when I was uh, a lot older, 59. And just some tales of following United around England and around Europe and uh, and a bit of personal stuff as well. So uh, uh, hopefully it's still relevant and it, hopefully it's it's a decent read. So, um, of course, I'm going to recommend it. <laughs> I, th yeah, I, th I think books like that, you know, they're never going to go out of fashion, considering the story in the background behind your book as well. It should always stay relevant. That, 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 that's important, though, to when people see the book, it's 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 not a book slagging off United or anything like that. It, it it's anything but. Um, it's a great read and we recommend it too. So we'd have another podcast released again later on this week. Um, myself and Mike will discuss some topics on United and hopefully we'll get um we'll get Pete back on in a, in a few weeks when there's another story breaking to discuss. And we might make that a feature with United fans on on Twitter that we we've become friendly with down the years since the blog has started just to discuss and give people different voices and different opinions. Um, so, yeah, that's it, Pete. Thanks a million for, for joining me. Oh, it's been a pleasure, Dale. And hopefully, hopefully, first of all, they'll get this virus under control. That's the big thing. That's yeah. the main yeah. thing, obviously, for all of us. But then we'll all get back to our football, whoever we support. But mainly, that we'll get back to Old Trafford and pick up where we left off with McTominay's late winner. Exactly. What a, what a way... Wait, that was the last. Was that the last kick? It was almost the last. We played Linsk away. Yeah. Behind closed doors, but that right. was the last. 
That brought the curtain down pre-COVID. That was that. There you go. What a way to bring the curtain down, yeah, Dale. You, and, and people then can't wait to get back to Old Trafford and all of a sudden you're being told for the foreseeable future it's not going to happen. I know, I know. It's it's awful. Um, it's probably even more awful for the fans 35 miles down the road from where I am in Manchester. <laughs> but we won't get dragged into that. <laughs> Pete, thanks a million. Look after yourself. It's been a pleasure. And you, Dale. Take care. Network.